Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with one co-host. I'm Joe Lau. <laughs> and poor Lindsay, her internet decided to um, give up the ghost today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so our guest this week is Theodora Taylor. After logging time as a music journalist, playwright, and radio writer, Theodora began writing hot books with heart in 2012. With 40-plus romances published to date, she has earned five KDP All-Star bonuses. Known for writing alternative heroes and smart, feisty hair, 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 hair. <laughs> female heroes. Theodora's 50 Loving States series has become a one-click stop for an ever-growing number of rabid readers. When not thinking of ways to write and sell even more hot books with heart, she enjoys spending time with her amazing family, going on date nights with her wonderful husband, learning German, watching all the Shonda Rhimes shows ever, and attending parties thrown by others. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I was really, really excited that you said yes when I asked you if you wanted to be on. So, <laughs> and I'll get into that all in, in one of my questions a little bit later. But uh, basically, we are both members of a group called Romance Author Mastermind. And um, I this is my first year participating. It's a It's like a romance author mastermind conference for romance <laughs> authors. And it's going to be this November. And it's invitation only. Um, you apply and then they accept. Um, but I mean, you've been going there for a little while, right? I mean, you've been uh, participating. They don't have a formal name for it, but I call myself a founding member. Okay. okay. I, <laughs> I was went wondering. One. It was no, like the very first invitation went out. And I was just like, yes, please. I would love to meet with other authors who are re in, um, receive their wisdom. So I just always enjoy it i always get so much out of it and it really fuels me through my entire year so if you ever have a chance to get an invitation to romance at author mastermind i would recommend totally taking it and i'm so excited for you Andrea. you're gonna have an amazing time I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I, like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't even heard of it before. And cause I, I mean, I've written romance in the past, but I just made a switch to romance earlier this year. And, for oh, wow. and yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it and pretty excited to meet other authors and, you know, get some learning in <laughs> what kind of romance do you write? Um, I write contemporary, um, clean romance. Um, mm -hmm. let's see. I've, I, um, I've written uh, Western romance in the past, but yeah everything I do is contemporary. I can't pull off historical romance. <laughs> <laughs> I like contemporary. It's nice. I, too. I like having a cell phone in my books. <laughs> <laughs> you could do so much with cell phones. And I love when um, people are texting and there's that dot, 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 and anticipation in books. What, what will he say? How will he answer? Yeah. I love that. Me too. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and get into the interview, if that's okay with you. Um, sure. And so my first question for you is, can you tell us how you got started with writing and indie publishing? Um, so writing, I've, it's somewhat of a long story, so I'll try to be as short as possible. I went, I was an English major. I then decided to double down on being poor by compounding that with a dramatic writing degree of becoming a playwright. And so after, but then I got my first kind of really good 
paid writing job and radio writing. And then I got pregnant with my first daughter and I decided to be a right at home mom that, Oh, then I also got a contract for a traditional publishing contract for a woman's fiction book. And so I decided to do this right at home mom thing. And uh, my book came out and it didn't do that as well as the publisher wanted it to. So it wasn't, so it was just kind of a bit of a disappointment. And then unfortunately, after um, we had, I guess what's called um, secondary infertility. So the road to second child was included two miscarriages. And I got really, really sad because it felt like my career was in the dumpster. The future of our family was up in the air. And I just felt very broken and sad. And in the midst of this, I ended up going to a conference for my woman's fiction book. And I met um, a woman who was a romance author and she introduced me. And this is what's so sad about it is I didn't really know the field back then. She introduced me to like Beverly Jenkins and Brenda Jackson, who are two huge African-American romance authors. And, but she was an indie romance author. She seemed just really happy and she was really satisfied with her career. And it just seemed like, oh, I should, I would love to be as happy as all the romance people in the romance panel were. And so um, I got, so my second book was, my second book didn't go as well as I wanted it to. The publisher wasn't happy with it. We needed to shop it around. And while my agent was shopping it around, I said, well, you know, I'm going to try to write a romance novel. And eventually someone picked up that second book. But by the time that happened, I had written like three or four romance <laughs> novels and I made way more money than I did for it did. I made way more than the advance I got for that second book, which took me two years to write. So I was just kind of like, I loved it. I loved it. I loved being in charge of my own career. I loved being able to write whatever I wanted to write. I loved particularly hiring an editor and not having them tell me what to do and me being able to take the advice if I wanted to and not take the advice if I didn't want to without it being a huge thing. So I just, every aspect of indie publishing, I just really loved it. So you're saying you are happier. <laughs> yes, I'm way happier. They did not lie. I was just like, I was right. Romance <laughs> author, indie romance authors are way happier, at least back then. This was like way back in 2010, I think. 2000, no, it was 2011. And, you know, so 10 years ago, indie author, indie romance authors seemed way, way happier. <laughs> well, and I mean, even like now, I, I mean, authors. Yeah. Uh, even now, like, um, I don't know, just knowing that I don't, this, this to me is freeing, like knowing that if I fail, it's on me and it's not because yes. of something out of my control, you know? Absolutely. You nailed it there. It's, I like being completely in control. I like feeling if I, if something fails, it's not the end of the world. I can try again, you know, and I don't feel as judged <laughs> as I did when I was working with other people. So it's just, I just love it. I love it. 
And I feel so privileged to say, this is how I make a living. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, 2010, 2011 was an excellent time to get into indie authoring, it seems. It <laughs> yeah. seems like the happiest, longest lived folks in the, in the genres are, uh, are starting around that time. Yes. <laughs> um, before we get into the writing and marketing section, Lindsay had a question, which I will read on her behalf, which is, what's your favorite Farscape character? Thank you for asking that question. This is the most boring answer. It's actually John Pryden. <laughs> I love the astronaut. I love that he's an American who kind of gets propelled to another place. I love that he's um, at least kind of very cowboy American. I thought he was just a wonderful person to experience this new um, universe through. But as far as, you know, kind of romance, alien romance fodder, I would have to say Dargo. And I wish <laughs> Lindsay was here because I think she'd get that. So <laughs> for yeah, the she probably people, would. They'll be like, yeah, Dargo, Dargo. That's definitely <laughs> the best character. Yeah. Yeah. This is why Lindsay should be here because I'm like, I don't even know who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as you said she wasn't here, but I was just like, oh, this question is not, my answer to this question is not going to make as much sense. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, like Joe said, we're going to get into like writing and marketing cross genre. Uh, we have a whole section that's devoted to your universal fantasy book, which just came out. And so um, I'm kind of hoping that we can keep this section not about that so that we have a little teaser for the future, you know, for the next section or whatever. Um <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so while checking out your Amazon page, I noticed that your current most popular book, and I don't know, I haven't checked for a couple of weeks, but is one that was released back in 2013, which is really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> How have you managed that? Um, basically, what keeps it selling so well? So I had one question. Which book was that? <laughs> Sorry, I, I fumbled my alt there. Um, it's uh, it was like book number one or two in your Fifty Loving States book. Oh, a Russian billionaire. Yes. yes, yes. So that's interesting because um, Carrie Ann Ryan, she actually gave this advice at a um, recent at last year's Romance Author Mind. Her workshop was just really great, but um, basically she said that you should feature one backlist book every so once in a while, like this should be your star. Like you should just like caper the town with this backlist book. And when you looked into this lat the last two months, it was um her Russian billionaire. So her Russian billionaire got the just the red carpet treatment, <laughs> just like, you know, hey, if you don't know her Russian billionaire, it was free. It's a free series starter. It had great sell through and it just um, you know, I applied for all sorts of ads. I got a book bub, which was really great. But basically, we papered the town with her Russian billionaire. And the nice thing about um, Russians is that for whatever reason, they just refuse to go out of style. Like people are always just like, I'm here for a Russian hero. So it did amazing numbers again we were so happy with it and you're right it's like um it's 2013 so it's pretty old so it's nice to know that it's still converting readers that people are still like i'm up for a russian hero bitter x <laughs> romance so yay 
That's good. And it, I mean, it, you know, older books are harder to sell, but they got more social proof or whatever. Like they, they've yeah. got more history. So folks who are yes. more likely to be on the edge are certainly going to be more convinced, you know? Yes. Um, so the next question here also is from Lindsay and, uh, we're going to talk more about your book in a bit, but, uh, you write interracial romance and you advertise on Facebook. And so you had, you, you, you learned some things I understand about how that happens. So can you talk about like what you learned about your ad experiments and, and you know, the trials that you had in, in advertising this stuff? Well, so it was interesting. So I decided, Oh, Facebook ads were kind of becoming a thing and I tried to experiment around with them and I just kind of wasn't getting anywhere or felt like I was just doing it all wrong. And then luckily Sky Warren, I want to say around 2018, and she's fantastic with Facebook ads. She um, did a class. And so I took the class and I was just kind of like, oh dear, I can't really advertise to my main audience on Facebook because there weren't any, You could I couldn't target any um, fellow interracial romance writers. The targets were all people who weren't in my genre and uh, who weren't in my um, category. And I just couldn't see any way to reach my niche audience who I really loved, which was, you know, people who were basically black women who were specifically looking for interracial romance. And there wasn't really an easy way to target them. And so one of the things that I ended up doing in that class was just kind of broadening my audience. And one of the great things about that was that I was able to reach more readers because it was it, it's it was one of those things as a niche author you kind of think well these are my readers and for and that was one of the first times where I was just kind of like oh well maybe I could have a wider audience or maybe there's a way of advertising that you can reach people who aren't who are outside your niche audience yeah that's that's something that uh, like I find probably a lot of people learn when they get into marketing niche stuff is that, yeah. um, you know, you think it's smaller than it is, or it, yes. it is as small as you think it is, but it's only because not enough people have been exposed to it and it would be exactly. you know larger as more people find out. Like it. <laughs> yeah. so thing I found. So if people are just like, Oh, I don't like mafia romance. It's like, well, <laughs> I think you like bad boys. I think you like, you know, there's a lot of elements of this mafia romance that you might like that you might not know about. Like if you like revenge romance, it's like you, if you read a revenge billionaire, you'll probably want to read this revenge mafia romance too. But sometimes people um, don't understand why, they're going to like your niche book or why your niche book, because they just kind of assume, well, I don't like that kind of book. Um, that's not my genre. And sometimes you have to kind of explain to them, oh, you do like my books. <laughs> you yeah. just don't know it yet. <laughs> I'm going to explain to you why. Yeah, I guess you you often see like ad copies, like if you like blank, you'll love yeah. blank. You know, it's yeah. like you got to get your teeth in somehow. All right. So uh, one of my questions is, uh, when you're preparing to write your next book, how much thought do you put into marketing at that stage? Is marketing something that you don't start working on until you finish writing? Or do you tweak your ideas with the aim of making them more marketable? Um, I used not to really think about marketing at all, because it, was, it would just kind of be um, like, well, 
I'm going to write this book and I hope people like it. Now, I really think, I still don't really think about marketing at all, but I do, you know, think about, um, I do write a book description before I start the book. I do really try to think about the reasons people will enjoy the book before I sit down to write because I don't want to, and I've been in the situation before where I'm done with a book. It's time to write the book description. And I have no idea why a person would <laughs> enjoy this book. It's just like, well, I hope they do. I, 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 I don't know if they will, but I hope they'll enjoy it. So now I really put a lot of thought ahead of time into thinking, why will they like this book? And this is getting me excited to get into the next section. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, we agree. It's like, we won't talk about the book, but it's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Like, hey, look, there's a teaser right there. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So my next question is how do you run your newsletter? Um, basically how frequently do you message your list and how personal are you in your emails? Um, I rarely, rarely, rarely message in between books. I'm trying to be better. <laughs> like my husband and I have had several discussions about how I need to send out more newsletters. I am a very, a fairly boring person. So, and by boring, I mean, I, usually do the same thing week to week, but then something exciting will happen. For example, during a pandemic, we decided to move to Barbados. So if something big like that happens, <laughs> then I say, hey, I've moved to Barbados. Or I just sent out a newsletter on Sunday and I finally, and I don't know how I never brought this up. But I was like, oh, we've moved away. We've decided to stay in Maryland. <laughs> like we've moved back to the States. We decided to stay in Maryland. And, you know, I got in. So that's usually the extent of the personal stuff. Cause I don't think I'm that interesting. I think the books are way more interesting. So I usually try to stick to that. So you moved to Barbados and then moved back. Yeah. Well, so I was, I was living in California for like 17 years. So for a long time. <laughs> and then during a pandemic, we decided, um, we like had a long conversation and I onboarded my husband to the business and we moved to Barbados and it was great down there. But then we decided to move back to the States to, um, get the vaccine and, we were going to, we were hoping to move to Germany after that, but then my kids kind of put their foot down and they were just like, okay, you bohemian, <laughs> whatever. We'd like to stay right here in the suburbs. We love the suburbs. So I think they think the suburbs are just awesome. <laughs> like They're like, we get to ride a bus. We've heard about this thing called snow that they're about to have. <laughs> so we have lost our buy-in for moving anymore. So they really want to stay here with their friends in the suburbs and kind of like live that life that we were trying to avoid. But then, but we kind of love now. It's nice to be settled in one place. 
That's really funny because my daughter, we homeschool our kids and she's like, mom, did you know some people ride buses? <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> these buses. some people ride buses. Yes. I was like, okay, well, we, we need to take your bus ride. There wasn't any busing for the school system. So they just think this is the best thing that they get to ride the bus. And then they have bus friends, like people that they don't really have classes with at school, but that they talk to on the bus all the time. So it's just very interesting. Did you grow up with buses? Did I what? Sorry. Did, when you were a kid, did you bus to school? No, we were, I was homeschooled too. So, oh, homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I do have one more question related to your newsletter. Cause you said that you usually email when you have a new release. How often are you releasing books then? Just cause I mean, this is fascinating to me. Yeah. So I've lately, it, you know, um, lately, I've really liked rapid releasing. I think the readers enjoy it. I enjoy it a little bit more when it's just like, um, like, hey, this whole series is going to come out. Boom, boom, boom. And I started that during the pandemic and I had, you know, a lot of, I wouldn't even call it just financial success, but a lot of um, satisfaction, <laughs> like a lot of like, oh, I like this. You like this. Let's keep on rapid releasing. So maybe there's like a three, three or four months between rapid releases, but then we get to kind of live with each other for a few months and, um, when the rapid release actually starts. So when I'm rapid releasing, I do one a month. Sometimes it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's one every four weeks. Sometimes it's like seven weeks if I, um, but it's one a month, no matter what. Okay. So what you do is you basically write up ahead of time and then start releasing and take a break for, from writing oh, while you're releasing or I, I write at least one and a half ahead of time and the rest, I'm just like, <laughs> um, it, it's funny. And, um, the year of yes by, um, Shonda Rhimes, she talks about writing episodic television and I kind of write in that same way. And she's just like, well, you know, it's kind of like you're laying train tracks and the plot's coming and you're just like, I'm laying train track. And that's how I write a lot of, and, you know, I really love writing, um, ahead of time sometimes. And then some books, it's just kind of like, well, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm going to outline it as much as I can before I start writing a book really quick, but I like, but this is a book that's going to be written pretty quickly before the plot train or the pre-order train, I should call it the pre-order train before the pre-order train runs me over. This book will be written. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and ask a Lindsay question and I'm going to see if I can do it in her voice. <laughs> Actually, I'm just going to do it in my own voice. Cause we have people say that we sound alike. So. <laughs> okay. You'll just fudge it. You'll be like, this is Lindsay. <laughs> Maybe I could do it in a British accent. <laughs> Okay. All right. She's, she would like you to talk about some of the challenges and struggles that have come with genre hopping and how you've dealt with and overcame them. Um, so this was a difficult question because for me, the challenge would not, would be not genre hopping. <laughs> so when I have to do a rapid release and it's just like, man, I'm at book five and I'm still in mafia romance, you know, I really need that promise that I'm going to get to work on an alien romance, which I'm working on right now. And, you know, as I'm working on the alien romance, I really need that promise that I'm going to be able to work on an MC romance next. So for me, I, 
cannot not genre hop for you know i imagine i guess there could be a parallel me and some parallel universe where i could just stick with one thing and it would make more money but as far as my energy my writer's energy goes it's just kind of like well who wants to stick with just i i've heard there are people who like doing this but why would i want to stick with just one genre i can't really that's it. again i'm not a fan of commitment outside of marriage so i'm just like I don't like just being like, well, I'm married to you to, for life, mafia romance, or I'm married to you for life, whatever kind of alien romance, whatever I'm doing at the moment. I'm, I'm the same way right now. I'm, I'm writing hey. short stories for uh, for my Patreon. So I'm oh, literally nice. things that take a day to write. And I'll be like, oh, I wrote two sci-fi things in a row. I want to write something else. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So uh, one of the major differences between genres that new authors or single genre authors might not think about is the comparative cost and difficulty of marketing. Uh, on the subject of being a cross-genre genre author, do you find that your marketing budget and tactics are different for different genres? Um, that's a great question. So for most of the time, I just market the same period. Like, it's just like everything gets kind of like, you know, the movie treatment <laughs> where it's just kind of like, hey, this is a movie. It's out. You know, I tell my ARC list, they, I, my street team kind of spreads the word. Um, I take out a few Facebook ads. I take out a few Amazon ads. I keep it going for about a week or two. And then I kind of um, go back to writing to my writing cave and that's it. But then every so once in a while, for example, the alien romance that just had legs. And so we had to keep on advertising it. We threw more money into it. And, um, you know, so you have to just make decisions. So if something's doing a little bit better, I'll spend more money on it and the like, but mostly I, usually just have the same marketing for everything. Like everything gets equal marketing, unless it's something that, for example, I have like this elf rom Christmas romance theme, like the love lives of Santa's elves that I do every holiday. So that gets like no marketing budget. <laughs> that gets like maybe if it's lucky, like $300 of marketing, because I don't think that's going to sell as well as a um, revenge um, mafia, Russian or any kind of romance. But um, most, but most of the genres get the same treatment. I think one of the main important takeaways from that is you spend more money on stuff that is making more money. Like a lot yes. of people think I need to advertise <laughs> more for the stuff that's not earning and right. the opposite tends to return on investment a lot better. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, it, it, like, you know, I have my little story about how my publisher, it was a, like a little, not mean, but, you know, disappointed when um, my money, when my book didn't really earn out or make the set, my uh, women's fiction book didn't make the sales that it was supposed to make. But I'm kind of like that now. It's just like, well, you're not doing what I wanted you to do. So you are abandoned. <laughs> like, I'm done. Or I will try to save you by putting you in a series or something like that, but I'm not going to spend extra money on you. But if you're making money, it's like, oh yeah, I'll throw here, make more money. Sure, do it. Convert, go find those cold readers. Anything that 
gets me new readers. I'm just kind of like, if you have never heard of me before, and it's a book where it has people saying, hey, I've never heard of this author before. And I bought this book that anything that converts cold readers, I'm throwing money at you. And I'll keep on throwing money at you until the ads aren't working or I'm not seeing any um, conversions. Yeah, I've, got one, I've got one fantasy series that uh, I still haven't finished. <laughs> it, it was not doing super well. I missed a lot of the expected, you know, like it, it was way, way off market and I thought it was way on market. And so yes. it didn't do nearly as well as I hoped it would. Um, That's we, difficult. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, you're oh, fine. No, it is. It's hard. One series I haven't finished. It's like the Scottish werewolf series. The first book did really well. The second book, oh my gosh, it just dropped like a stone. But you, I think you'll probably you you'll you probably have this um, experience with fantasy as well. But when people really like sci-fi fantasy shifters, they really like it. They're a different kind of fan. So they'll email you and they'll be like, well, what, when is this next book coming out? You said it's going to be a series. And it's like, yeah, but it didn't sell. So I don't understand why this engenders so many emails and so much fan mail, even if it didn't sell. I guess I should understand that because I'm a Farscape fan. I'm a fan of a lot of sci-fi properties that didn't necessarily, that have like hardcore followings, but didn't necessarily have the um, ratings or the response that people wanted. Uh, it was that their parent um, companies wanted. So I'm going to take that back. <laughs> but yeah, it's hard to finish yeah. things. Yeah, no, I've got like readers who, who are angry that I'm not finishing that series. And I'm like, exactly. like they're super passionate about it, which I'm like, oh, I'm glad yes. you're super passionate. But can I get a few <laughs> thousand more who are super passionate? I know, I know. <laughs> if you find them, like, you, you know, <laughs> do a crowd me. Oh, Although I, and this is so sad. So Veronica Mars, I was so angry when that was taken off. And, you know, when the um, GoFundMe came up, I was like, yes. <laughs> so it's funny. So I do understand because I'm often one of those people who's very disappointed when a um, series doesn't go on. But yeah, yeah. It's hard to continue as the writer if you're not see if you don't get that, um, market response as well as the fan response. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're going to move into the universe, universal fantasy stuff. Um, okay. Before I get into my question, I'm just going to give a little bit of background, but, um, I mean, and then I'm going to ask you that question then we're going to, yeah, well, (laughs) we'll get it. (laughs) Okay. So this is the main reason I wanted to have you on the show. I can't, and I was, we were talking about this earlier. I think it is probably the author romance author mastermind group, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw another author post that your new book on universal fantasy was out. And I was like, Oh, some new, this author's like saying this other author's book is out. I don't see that ha- happen very often, you know? And it was, you know, it was a nonfiction book for authors. And even though it had only been a couple hours since that post was up, there were like tons of comments from authors <laughs> saying they grabbed their copy and I'd never heard of the book or you. And sorry about that, but I, you know, I just brought no, this to romance. <laughs> so. And that totally piqued my interest. I was like, how, how is she getting, I mean, how did this happen? Like, um, so I want you to give a quick 
explanation be behind why you wanted to write the seven figure I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give the whole title right here for listeners seven figure fiction how to use universal fantasy to sell your books to anyone so basically why you decided to write that and then how much how you just like how you manage sorry to drum up so much interest in something that hadn't yet been published especially with it being your first book for authors <laughs> so I wish I had an awesome answer for you. Um, what happened was that I presented at RAM and um, you know what? I do have an awesome answer for you. And it's just not the answer you think it's going to be. And it is your author friends, <laughs> you know, your author community. Um, if you are sitting at home and you have kind of like social anxiety, like I do, and you're thinking I shouldn't go to author conferences. It's a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Cause you meet other authors and they're very supportive. And I've never seen a community, um, this is sad because you gave me the question beforehand, but I'm still going to um, ramble about it. But so what happened, short story, linear story. I presented at RAM last year, Romance Author Mastermind last year. I presented a workshop on this. Um, people really, really loved it. And then my author friends who were in this kind of, they were in this group and the group met like towards the end of the year, every year. And what we did was we all presented. We were all supposed to present on something we knew about. And, you know, and it could be like a conference you went to where you got some really important information, but whatever your field of expertise was. And at that, in one time, I was just like, well, I'm going to present on selling your books to people who think they don't want to buy your books. <laughs> and so I did the soft presentation. They loved it. And then um, I, someone asked me to speak at their um, RWA group. And I was just kind of like, oh, um, and I've spoken for them before about productivity systems or something like that. And I was like, oh, I just did a soft presentation on this subject and their eyes lit up and they were just like, yes, do that. So I came and I gave that presentation. They loved it. <laughs> and then more people kept on asking me to do this presentation and Sky Warren asked me to do it for Ram. And so I was just like, yes. And I got very lucky because in real life, I stutter a lot. I lose my train of thought. I sometimes forget whole swaths of my speech because I'm so nervous <laughs> during public speaking. But it was in the middle of the pandemic, so I was able to pre-record all my thoughts on this and just send it in. And people really liked it. And then my friends who I'd done the original soft presentation for, for this um, group of authors, they were just kind of like, you should write a book. And I was just like, yeah, I should. And I was just like, I really want, before I present this speech again, I really want to write a book because I'd seen other people present speeches and I just immediately bought the book. So it seemed kind of, you know, as a business person, silly to give a speech without having a book attached. So I was like, oh, I should have a book attached. And then, um, and I should tell you, I have, you were saying earlier, oh, I'm so happy you agreed to do that, to do this. I have seasons of yes and seasons of no. 
<laughs> so my season of yeah, I'm in a season of yes right now. It ends on October 31st and then season of no until the end of the year. <laughs> so I had a um, season of yes and Nink asked me to speak during a season of yes. So I was just like, oh, I'm so nervous about speaking at Nink, but I need to, if I, I'll say yes. And once and I need to write a book before that. And so I wrote the book and then I was talking to, again, the same people. We do a Zoom call every month and they were just kind of like, and I, and I was just like, oh, could you, um, it, could you guys read this and maybe give me a blurb? And they, and we did our Zoom call and they were just like, you know, you should talk to Elena Johnson. You should talk to all these people and ask them if they'll do a review. And I hate asking, but that's something I have to work on. So I, I considered it a personal experiment to actually just ask people for things. And so I asked a few um, big authors if they um, if they would look over the book or, or authors I respected, if they would look over the book. Um, a few of them came back with amazing quotes. I got so lucky. Alana Johnson mentioned me in her author group, which is fantastic. If you ever indie inspiration with um, Alana Johnson, and it was, and then it just went from there. It was kind of like watching something catch fire, <laughs> but I didn't mean to set the fire. It was just kind of word of mouth. So. I really, you know, again, as someone who struggles with social anxiety and asking for something and, you know, going to conferences and connecting with other writers, I really suggest that for people because especially if you're going to write a book for other writers, because connecting with people, um, asking, even if you're scared to ask, it's why this book sold and I'm still just so shocked about it because I thought it would just be a book that if I gave a speech, then people could, you know, buy it after the speech. That's really encouraging though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Okay. All right. So would you explain exactly what universal fantasy is for those who have never heard that term before? Okay. So universal fantasy. <laughs> This is a whole chapter in the book. So please buy the book. If you are at all confused about how I explain this, you will not be the first one. And it's explained a little bit better. But the universal fantasies are basically the reasons or the reason or reasons people enjoy your books. So if you think about it from the um, perspective of telling a story around the fire, it's what makes people stay for that story, um, engage with that story, respond emotionally to that story that you're telling around the fire. Um, to be clear, it's not trope. <laughs> it's not, I always say, um, Universal, it's a uh, trope is the what the story is. Universal fantasy is why that trope is good. So, for example, in the book, I use Beauty and the Beast and I break down a lot of the universal fantasies in Beauty and the Beast. And it's just kind of like, well, it's not the Beauty and the Beast trope, it's what makes that Beauty and the Beast trope good. So, Part of it is um, being ripped from your boring life. That's a universal fantasy. Um, if you give me a book, I'm always able to like, or, or a 
huge entertainment tr- property, I'm always able to break down why audiences enjoy that um, story. And it was it was one of those weird things where I was just kind of like going. And that brings us back to the ad class that I took because, you know, I wasn't for it was the first time where I wasn't kind of like I had to explain clearly to people who didn't know me, cold readers who weren't necessarily interested in interracial romance, why they were going to enjoy this story on a universal level that like, you know, why everyone enjoys um, the Beauty and the Beast cartoon, whether you're a man or a woman, or, you know, um, a kid or adult, there are some things about Disney's version of um, Beauty and the Beast that everyone just enjoys. And those are the universal fantasy aspects. And so this book is about tapping into that and using it to write what I call cellular books and, um, and, you know, market them, which is hard because when it comes to marketing, you have to figure out really quickly and really, really clearly why people will enjoy this book and why they should buy it. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So I I have a question I tacked onto that. Um, why authors should use it. And I kind of want to have you use the experience, your experience, because I know you mentioned that in the book, like what happened when you started doing this yourself to like royalties. I mean, the concrete, you know, the cold, hard cash. (laughs) Yes. Cold, hard cash. That is why you should know. (laughs) Honestly, 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 one of the things I love about universal fantasy for me, particularly as an author who considers herself first and foremost, an entertainer, because I kind of came at this in a roundabout way through playwriting. So I really am here to entertain. And so um, with universal fantasy, it just kind of guarantees to me that this is entertaining and that the audience will enjoy this. And what's been great monetarily is when I add these elements to the story and I make sure I check after every scene, hey, this scene, these scenes are connecting with audiences or audiences are understanding why, um, like, I understand... I understand that this won't be boring for the audience. This will be entertaining. Then audiences are entertained. (laughs) So it's more satisfying for you. It's more satisfying for them. And, you know, more money, which is always lovely. More money is always lovely. That could be the name of this podcast. (laughs) Um, So, all right. So uh, building a story with all the elements to satisfy an audience is obviously crucial to having enduring success, but having a perfectly constructed wish-fulfilling story won't mean much if no one discovers it. Word of mouth can keep a book selling, but do you have any insight into how to make it clear to prospective readers? Like you were talking about this a little bit already. uh, What sort of a great story they're in for and and how do you find those readers? Um, (laughs) So... uh, I would say it kind of all begins with your book description because like I'm a really big fan of just getting them to your book subscription. And if they get to your book subscription, they should buy the book. Like, you know, the cover should be, um, you know, it should be what I would call buttery. Like it should, you should have a cover that like conveys some universal fantasy um, element, like, 
you know, this, I guarantee you, this guy is going to look at you in a sizzling way, or it's kind of hard to explain, <laughs> explain just um, in terms of an interview. But I would say show, don't tell, and blurbs why people would enjoy this include a universal fantasy and a blurb. So, for example, um, if you were to say, this is a billionaire opposites attracts romance. It's just like, well, a lot of people like billionaire opposites attracts romance. But if you can show in the blurb why this is a billionaire opposites attracts romance, and you can show that this billionaire is an um what we call in romance an alpha hole who needs to be taken down by someone who's generous and good, then that's going to, that book's going to sell more than, oh, this is a billionaire opposite um, attracts romance, you know? So make sure that all of those elements are in your book description and in your ads when you're selling it. And there's different ways to go about it. Like I've seen, really great ads where it's just a scene from a book that perfectly kind of encapsulates a universal fantasy that's playing out or that you're, what you're going to get in that book. And I've seen just a description, I've seen descriptions where it's just kind of like, um, for example, a bully romance where it's just kind of like, well, um, um, these people, these boys are going to make my, um, life miserable. It, but, you know, it kind of turns out that they like her or something like that. It is something like that. So, you know, whatever makes your story delicious, make sure that's in your ads, make sure that's in your book description. Make sure if you can, and I'm not the best at this <laughs> because I have a terrible habit of making my own covers sometimes or just kind of going with whatever cover um, looks the best to me. But if you can convey that in every aspect of your packaging. So your cover, your I, I'm about to send out a post today on my Substack about this. Your title, if your title can have a universal fantasy in it, that's amazing. Um, if your, if your, um, book description can have a universal fantasy, your cover, your book description, your title, have it all in there. And, you know, especially your writing, your sample, your first, if someone goes on your, um, page and looks, uses the look inside feature, make sure that has universal fantasy. And if you have like all four of those going, I rarely see a case where someone has all four things going really well, has executed universal fantasy in all four aspects and it's not selling. It's super rare for me. All right. It's, it's funny. You, you use a phrase, uh, what makes your, your story delicious. And yeah. while you were describing, like, you have to show and not tell and all that, I was like, there's a, a lesson they give, like, people who host cooking shows where it's like, don't describe the food as delicious. Say why it's delicious. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, apparently making a book and making a, a cake yeah. are kind of the same. Yes. All right. So one last question. This one's from Lindsay. Um, you have a very entertaining writing style. 
and <laughs> I, she, uh, ended up reading this because the sample was more fun than any of the fiction samples that she was reading at that week. <laughs> uh, she would say that the most experienced authors will nod a lot as they read your book because they intuitively get what you're talking about, I can say from my point of view, such has been the case during this interview, uh, but also realize that they haven't been as effective at giving readers that kind of wish-fulfilling, living vicariously through the protagonist experiment uh, experience that they should. Do you now plan this out as an outline uh, or uh, on a character sheet to make sure that you get multiple universal fantasy examples in your books? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every scene should have a universal fantasy. Um, and when I say have a universal fantasy, I mean either be setting up a universal fantasy. So, you know, if we have a crushing disappointment, it is like one care or a character, for example, with your rom-com setup, a character is being dumped because she, you need to clear the way for um, the hero. That's a great setup for that, like, opposite of X universal fantasy where your terrible X dumps you and then the um, wonderful X comes through. <laughs> the wonderful Mr. Wright comes through. And so, the, and so I always say, Make sure, make sure, because one of the things I have a very, very short attention span, which is why I genre hop so much. But there's the main thing that makes me um, DNF did not finish book, do not finish books is when there's a scene where it's just kind of like it just even if it's interesting, it just kind of lays there on the page it doesn't set up a universal fantasy it doesn't play out a universal fantasy there's nothing kind of compelling about it just kind of gives you information maybe or it's a funny thing that happens and so i always feel at least i always feel like the best books just really have some element of universal fantasy going on in almost every scene just butter throughout <laughs> if you I always call universal fantasy butter so butter throughout the book I love butter so much. Me too. Me too. And I'm lactose intolerant. So this was the most terrible book to write. I was just like, butter's so good. <laughs> I just wish I could have more of it without it becoming a theme. I think if I became lactose intolerant or something like that would happen, I would probably be like, somebody just kill me now. <laughs> I'm so addicted Thank to dairy. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> somehow, I, I persevere, I persevere, despite this terrible lactose intolerance. And, you know, it's funny because did, it didn't really start hitting me until I got older. And at first you're just in denial. And then you're just kind of like, okay, you're lactose intolerant. And then you just, oh, man. you just have to accept it. So, Oh, no, I, 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 I won't. I will never accept it. <laughs> Well, I've accepted it, but sometimes it's just like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna eat this with a lactate pill and a prayer beforehand. <laughs> so, <laughs> we will see. Uh, all right, okay. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. We really this was appreciate so it. much fun. Thank you for having me, and please say hi to Lindsay. I love her questions. <laughs> so yeah. I was able to talk with her too. Yeah. Um, okay. So you write under a pen name for your romance and you've got a different pen name for this nonfiction book. Um, where can people find both authors and, both uh -huh. and your books? 
So um, it's T. Taylor, it's super simple <laughs> for this book, um, for seven-figure fiction, how to sell, how to use universal fantasy to sell your books to anyone. I, I did not realize how trippy that title was. <laughs> so I said it out loud. And then Theodore Taylor for everything else. Awesome. And what, what are your web, what's your website? Uh, my website is theodoretaylor.com. Okay. That's easy enough. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with this number six. And we'll talk to you all <laughs> later. Bye. Bye. Come on, everybody. <laughs>